I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Tuesday. I am thrilled to be hopping back into our conversation about health at every size with you today. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose is that if you've been listening to the podcast for a minute, you might know that we got a new coffee machine. It took us some time to dial it in, but we have figured it out. And I am just thrilled to be home to our good, yummy coffee and not having like Airbnb Keurig right now. Mm, such a rose. My bud is that tomorrow is vaccine number two for me and my husband, which means we are two weeks away from hugging our other vaccinated friends. And my thorn is that I am currently eating a granola bar like while I write this, and it is in no way healthier than a candy bar, this particular one. It is just not. And I just think that's weird that we get marketed food as like health food. Um, and really, we might as well just eat a candy bar and maybe that candy bar would be like more delicious. I personally am not a big candy bar fan, but like so many people are eating these granola bars, suffering through them when they really just want a candy bar. And nutritionally, they're kind of each other's equivalent. There are some good granola bars out there, don't get me wrong. This is not one of them. <laughs> Okay, so this conversation brings us right into today's episode about how do we take what we learned yesterday, releasing diet culture while still wanting to be healthy. So first, we have got to stop moralizing health and even certain foods. Health as something that is good or bad is pretty frankly ableist. Um, you know, it's saying some people are worthy of good things and those people are the ones who are healthy and fit and happy um, while the others deserve whatever comes to them. That's an ableist mindset. And it only works until we ourselves are caught up in a compromising position. We get sick, we break a leg, we find ourselves with heart disease even though we thought we were above it because we had a normal BMI and turns out it, it isn't, uh, health disease, heart disease doesn't discriminate by body type. So in this way, we can't moralize health because it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's pretty messed up. And it's just, quite frankly, none of our business how someone else's body is treating them. When I say it's not your business how someone else's body is behaving, the only argument that I get back to that is, but taxes. I pay taxes, my taxes go to their medical care, which quite frankly, does it. If you live in the States, does it. But as we've mentioned before, health is scientifically proven to not be directly correlated to BMI, but even if it was, you still need to mind your business. The other thing that we have to do is stop demonizing food. We have long learned that foods we thought were bad are actually quite good. There was this whole war on fat, and now fat is a good thing. A recent study published in the BMJ concluded that replacing saturated with polyunsaturated fat in your diet may not prolong life, contradicting decades of received medical wisdom. 
Interestingly enough, this conclusion was not based on new data, but rather a new interpretation of old data. Our bodies, in reality, are only truly concerned with survival and reproduction. So we can get all of these messages. You have to drink almond milk. You have to cut out carbs. You have to cut out fat. No, now fat's a good thing and, and protein's the good thing and you should be um, paleo and you should be vegan. All of these contradicting messages are being sent to us, but our bodies just wanna just, they just wanna live and they wanna make babies. We make this more complicated than we have to. We, our bodies like fats and sugar because the scarcity of high calorie nutrition was the main threat to survival in pre-industrial societies. So our bodies, they, yeah, they, they, they seek out fat and sugar because that's what kept them alive. Which leads me to point number two. And I hear this all the time, but I'm addicted to food. You don't understand. I can't, I can't trust myself around food. I, I can't do things in moderation. I'm addicted to sugar. I'm addicted to carbohydrates. But hear me out when I say what you're really saying is I consistently restrict these things and then go on bingers. It's been proven over time, like time and time again, that sugar is not, and I repeat, is not an addictive substance. Thinking about food as addictive internalizes a strong message that food can be overpowering and dangerous to our systems. And these messages reinforce unnecessary vigilance, which is not supportive to health or well-being. Food restriction is the way to feel addicted. Eating disorder experts know restriction leads to what we call food preoccupation, which can be mistaken for addiction. Essentially, the minute a human being is told we can't have something, chances are we want it even more, even if we never wanted the thing in the first place. So just thinking certain foods are off limits is enough to create a craving. And while you may think you allow yourself to eat what you want when you want it, chances are you are not giving yourself unconditional permission to eat and enjoy food. These so-called eating indiscretions oh, I'm bad, I'm eating cake, are often done in secrecy and are riddled with guilt and shame, which triggers this idea of like, I can't do that again. I'm, I'm out of control. And so then you do the thing that every dieter does, which is decide to start a diet, but then say, I'm starting my diet tomorrow, so I'll eat well tonight which not only reinforces the idea that you are in fact addicted to food, but also instills a consistent restrict binge pattern of behavior so that your body can't recognize the truth of when it's hungry and when it's being deprived. I want you to really sit with that for a second. We think we can't control ourselves around food because we're overly restricting. We're not giving ourselves unlimited permission to enjoy what we eat. The need to binge is a direct repercussion of overly restricting. So what do we do? The first thing is 
to begin a relationship to yourself where you pay attention and give respect to who you are beyond food. Fall in love with life. Give yourself unconditional permission to eat and experience pleasure. This builds trust, respect, and safety, which are the building blocks for you to know what health even is for you outside of diet culture. Until you build this relationship to yourself where you are safe to explore, you're, you're missing important messages that your body is trying to send you. And then we move into ask yourself how foods make you feel in your body. So yeah, you could, if you give yourself unlimited permission to eat, you could binge on ice cream all day every day, but then you might not feel so good. You might feel tired. You might feel sick to your stomach. And so you start to ask yourself, what foods make me feel energized and light and like I can move my body more often? And you will start to give yourself those foods because they make you feel the way you want to feel. A great place to start is through intuitive eating. I know I am not an expert on this, but I will try to link a good book for you below. The Health at Every Size book is also a really good place to start here. But another question that I often get is, okay, Sarah Jane, like I'm on board. I want to do this. I would love to have freedom around food and movement, but what about like actual health problems? Like there are some correlations, right? Yes, so let's talk about those. So let's say cholesterol, diabetes type two, body pain, treat them at the source, right? So instead of saying, I have high cholesterol, I need to lose weight. Say, I have high cholesterol, I need to do more cardio, I need to eat less red meat, or I have, I'm at, I'm at risk for diabetes, I need to lower my sugar intake, or I'm experiencing body pain, I think I need to start doing a little bit of yoga or daily walking to work through that, right? You do not have to focus on shrinking in order to deal with your health concerns. You can deal with your health concerns away from your relationship to how you look. So now when we're interacting at the doctor, a few things that often come up when we're doing this work that can be pretty triggering, right? You get weighed at the doctor. They like to talk about your weight. And so a few things that I wanna empower you to feel comfortable to do. First of all, you don't have to be weighed at the doctor. For most things that you go to the doctor for, they do not need to weigh you, and you can request that they don't. However, I, you know, I had some lung issues this year, and they weighed me when I would go to the pulmonologist, and I asked them why. And he said, we just need to make sure you're not losing a lot of weight all of a sudden, because that could be a sign of some health concerns. And so when they weigh me, I just don't even look at the scale. I don't take a peek. I look away. At this point, they are used to me doing that. It doesn't phase them at all. Um, and honestly, I think it gives them permission to not do the same. And finally, if they bring up weight as the concern, you can ask about other things. So for example, healthy people are not better than unhealthy people. 
being a healthy fat person doesn't make you more worthy as a person. But I will, I will say if a doctor comes to me and says, you have weight that you need to lose, I can say, how is this negatively impacting my health? Can you show me where I'm at risk? Personally, I have impeccable blood pressure. I have impeccable cholesterol levels. My, I am nowhere near at risk of diabetes. And so there aren't really, there aren't any current indicators that my weight is impacting my health in any way. So when we can have the conversation around like moving away from body and into health, it's a completely different conversation. And in fact, by those of us who are confident enough to do this, we're teaching our doctors how to engage with body positivity, how to engage with health at every size. So the question that I can ask my doctor is, okay, let's even say I do have high cholesterol. Then I can say, okay, let's move away from weight loss and talk about behavior changes. I can't talk to you about like how much weight I need to lose. Um, I can talk to you about what activities you think I should do because weight loss is an arbitrary measurement. It's an arbitrary goal, but behavior modification is, is something I can control. It's something I can participate in. So here's the other thing that I want us to talk about before we end this series, because it's so important. There, everyone on the internet right now is a health expert. Anyone can call themselves a health expert. Um, you download Instagram, you put your name on it, and you put out all of your prejudice and your bias and your disordered eating habits, quite frankly, and your, your bulimia, your anorexia, these things come out, this orthorexia, which is um, obsessive eating and exercise to the point of your own detriment. The people are putting this out as health advice, and it's really confusing when you're an average consumer just kind of scrolling through Instagram being told what you need to do and don't need to do. So I just wanna give you a few red flags to consider when you are learning from a health quote unquote expert. So be hyper vigilant when someone tells you to cut out certain food groups. This is a disordered eating sign. When the diet has a name with very specific rules like paleo and intermittent fasting, you know, when you have these things, these are fad diets that are going to come and go and someone is profiting off of your self-hatred. When they are pitching appetite suppressants or telling you to skip meal meals, another sign of disordered eating behavior. Some green flags. When you are looking, when you, if you want support by a health professional or someone who, a dietitian, some green flags to look at. Intuitive eating, if they talk about intuitive eating, freedom to eat. If they talk about health at every size. If they encourage you to eat when you are hungry and to listen to the messages that your body is sending you. If they are wanting you to trust yourself, these are the right people to listen to. They know what they're talking about. They are informed and they're here to support you in the best ways to be healthy without hating yourself. Another helpful practice in deprogramming your own internal diet culture is tracking your own restriction cycle. So if you were like me and you started dieting when you were like nine years old, you can look back at your long sordid history of diets that you tried, why you tried them, and what happened. My story starts at nine years old, joining Weight Watchers um, to lose weight at my mom's request, 
and then to gain weight back, um, I've done every fad diet you could imagine. And, and when you get into them in detail, you can start to see how really messed up they are. Some of them, Weight Watchers, I think people can do pretty balanced. Because it was a point system and a measurement, I did not, okay? Like, I did Weight Watchers and I lost weight in high school because I only ate Diet Coke and popcorn. I want you to hear me. I would go to meetings every week and people would praise me for the weight that I had lost because I was not eating anything. I was eating popcorn in Diet Coke. Another diet that I did, I only ate grapefruits and black coffee. Another diet that I did, I drank these herbal shakes for two meals of the day and then one meal of the day was like three ounces of salmon and like an ounce of vegetables or like not an ounce of vegetables, like six ounces of vegetables, like not enough food. And here's what happens to your body when you do this. Your body thinks it's starving because quite frankly it is and it starts to store fat. And so then the inevitable happens, which is that you cannot sustain this way of being. So you stop eating like this. You start to go back to normal eating patterns and your body is like, oh, thank God we're getting food. I'm going to store this up as fat so that the next time she starves me, I have something to work with here. That is the pattern. The other thing to keep in mind is when it comes to certain kinds of foods that we're supposed to restrict, you know, carbohydrates are the devil, um, meat, you know, be high protein, and then like protein is the devil, go vegan, like all of these different things, which of course, veganism as a moral choice is, I believe, admirable and awesome. Veganism as a diet, completely different game, and you have to know for yourself which is which. You have to know if this is if this is just a, another way to have a disordered eating pattern or if this is coming from a place of like, this feels like the right thing to do for, for animals in the environment. But let's talk about milk for a second, okay? So I one time journaled back and looked at all of the different ways in which I was supposed to drink milk. And it's it was like, growing up, it was like skim milk was the way you're supposed to drink milk. That was like, you know, because we were like anti-fat. And then we moved into, I think it was soy milk next. And then we were like, soy milk's actually got all these hormones in it. And then we moved to almond milk. And then it was like, oh wait, we're like pillaging these almond things. It's actually like pretty rough on the environment. So then it's like, oh, whole milk is actually the way because you need to give yourself just like full fat, less of it, but, but full fat, like go whole milk. And then now we're like in this oat milk world, which at this point, like I just drink whatever milk I want to drink. Sometimes that's oat milk, sometimes it's whole milk. But all of these messages we're receiving on a day-to-day basis, guess who's getting paid by us shifting? Guess what this is? It's marketing. It's marketing to us the next new fancy milk. It's a fad, it's a trend. So you just need to be in a relationship to your body so that you can find the milk that's right for you. 
And if you are morally opposed to dairy milk, then like, yeah, oat milk might be the milk that's right for you. Awesome. But you need to know. It needs to be your choice. You can't just like bend and sway to the wind like I used to. And this leads me to today's Food for Thought, which is a poem I read to my Brave Collective community this month when we discussed this topic together. It's called On a Diet by Edward Coles. The country is on a diet. Drinking Coke with no sugar, eating burgers with no bun, running on the treadmill. It's powdered protein for lunch and straight tequila in the evening, a light head and guilty fries at night. The country is on a diet doing yoga over yogurt pots, training their minds with Sudoku and solitaire, rubbing salt and condition into their hair. It's 6 a.m. gym sessions. It squats on the living room floor. The country is on a diet, my friends, and so we have no time for truth or war. The country is on a diet, avocado and the breadcrumb, aspirin and, aspirin and the salt shaker, food numb on the tongue. And those slim shakes always failed to deliver. Thigh gaps and the mind the gaps, all of these signposts for a cleaner living, no dust on the shelf, no bags neath your eyes to hide the lack of sleep and your ailing mental health. The country is on a diet, drinking tea with no milk, eating carrot sticks with best value dip. Running on the treadmill, we never get too far. It's straight tequila in the evening. It's anything goes in the dark. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for, for joining me for today's episode. It is an absolute pleasure to create this content for you. And I will see you tomorrow for the next one.